Hey and welcome to Part-Time Struggle. My name is Matthew Tarleton. In today's episode, which is episode number three, I will be discussing anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, my anxiety, and what I do to help manage my anxiety. My hopes are that you hear this episode and apply some of the methods to your daily routine in an effort to help you with your anxiety. If your anxiety differs from mine, please reach out to me at contact at parttimestruggle.com and let me know what your anxiety looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. Share your story with me. Share it with us. There's someone out there that might can use your story or your advice to help them overcome their mental health issues. I've also written a blog on anxiety, which we'll, we'll cover a good bit of that in this episode. But if you'd like to read that, um, hop on over to www.parttimestruggle.com and check it out. It will have an addi- additional information that's not necessarily covered in this podcast. With that being said, let's go. Before we get started today, ask yourself this question. How much of my anxiety is caused by the pressure that I put on myself? How much of my anxiety is manufactured by me due to the pressure that I put on myself? Seriously, either during this episode or afterwards, write down your anxiety triggers and then dig into the root cause of those anxieties. Determine if those triggers, your anxieties, are due to pressure or expectations that you put on yourself. Due to the pressure that society puts on each of us to live a certain way, look a certain way, be a certain way, we have have this tendency to develop insecurities about ourselves. Society says that you should go to college, you should get married at a certain age, you should have children by a certain age, you should get a job, a career by a certain age, own a car, own a home by a certain age, have a certain amount of money at a certain time in your life. And there's also this misconception that if you if you don't do those things that that in that made up time frame that you might be shunned or looked down on by society, you might feel inadequate because of this. But let me tell you, it's all bullshit. No two people are alike. We all have our own walks of life. We all have different demands in our life. We all have different starting points in life. You need to do what's best for you in the time that you have. And don't worry about what others are doing. If you focus on you and control what you can control, you'll be much happier in life and you'll you'll be able to set more realistic expectations for yourself, which can have a very positive impact on your mental health. I might be projecting onto you how I feel, maybe, I don't know, but I personally have adopted this mindset recently and have found it very beneficial for me. Hopefully you already know this. Hopefully you're saying, yeah, duh, I know all that to yourself as you listen to me ramble on. But, but anyway, let's, let's move on to anxiety. I will always start off my blogs or my podcast uh, by telling you that I am not a professional. I am not a doctor. I am not uncovering any new research, and I'm not telling you that I have any answers. I'm just a dude talking about his mental health issues. So with that said, anxiety fear, depression, those three amigos seem to hang out with each other a lot. In a previous post, I talked in length about my depression, uh, depression in general, and how I manage my depression. And you can find that at www.parttimestruggle.com. I got a podcast about it. I got a blog about it. And just like my depression, my anxiety is constantly hanging around. It's dictating my mood and my well-being. My anxiety causes me to overthink most situations. My anxiety pulls me away from trying new things because of the fear of failure. 
my anxiety makes me question most things that I do. Like, did I do it right? What do others think? Uh, could I have done it better? How do I measure up to others? When I go places, my anxiety tells me that everyone is watching me. They're not. When I see people talking, my anxiety tells me that they're probably talking about me. They aren't. Hell, my anxiety keeps me from enjoying the moment. And what I mean by this is that my anxiety is thinking about something that has happened in the past, like how could I have changed it, what could I have done differently, or my anxiety is thinking about the future, planning every small detail out to avoid any unforeseen circumstances. Because of this living in the past and worrying about the future, I fail to live in the moment. When I do plan things out and those plans don't go exactly as I envisioned, more anxiety happens because I wasn't prepared. So you probably can kind of see how this, this cycle can be overwhelming. And this is my anxiety. Maybe you have something that's different, but this is kind of how mine works. All of this anxiety, all of this fear or worry, it's 100% manufactured by me. It's all made up in my head. I am anticipating a perceived threat that it isn't there. But anxiety can be your friend in a way. Yes, anxiety can help you with finding solutions to problems and uh, forecasting survival uh, it's, it's something that's in all of us it's an animal instinct it it helps us survive but anxiety disorder is basically your brain always thinking that you're about to somehow be physically or mentally hurt and it's constantly fighting and looking for ways to dampen those odds in the following podcast coming up and the following talks i have coming up here um, I'll talk about anxiety disorder, causes of anxiety, my anxiety disorder, and methods I do to help with my anxiety. And just like depression, you won't 100% cure yourself of anxiety, but there are steps you can take to mitigate anxiety levels. So what is anxiety? Anxi anxiety itself is defined as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Having anxiety is totally normal. It is a part of life and could even be considered a superpower, so to speak. Professor John S. Price wrote that anxiety is a component of de-escalating strategies mediated by the brain. Danger and harm are avoided by strategic decisions made at all three levels of the triune forebrain, which is your rational, your emotional, and your instinctive parts of your brain. Professor Price goes on to say that when the brain fails to deal with the threat of conspecific danger, and today I learned that conspecific means belonging to the same species, when it fails to deal with that danger, these more primitive de-escalating strategies may be activated and may present as anxiety disorders. So what is an anxiety disorder? That is defined as those that frequently are having intense excessive and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. The Mayo Clinic says anxiety disorder is a type of mental health condition that affects up to 30% of adults at some point in their lives. The University of Michigan Health says that anxiety is having too much fear and or worry. And again, the Mayo Clinic states that these feelings of anxiety and panic interfere with daily activities, they are difficult to control, and are out of proportion to the actual danger and can last a long time. Some people go even as far as to avoid places and situations to avoid their anxiety triggers. Once again, the University of Michigan Health says those with anxiety disorders, they feel worried and stressed about many things. Often they worry about even the small things. Anxiety disorders 
often bring on muscle tension and avoidance behavior when there's anticipation of future concern. So what are some of the symptoms of anxiety disorder? The common and most present signs are feeling nervous, restless, or tense, having a sense of impeding danger, panic, or doom, having an increased heart rate, breathing heavily, sweating, trembling, feeling weak or tired, it interferes with our ability to function, we can overreact when something triggers our emotions, we can't control certain responses to situations, we have trouble concentrating or thinking about anything other than the present worry, have trouble sleeping, there's digestive problems, we have difficulty controlling worry, and we have that urge to avoid things that trigger anxiety. I know for me, one 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 of my anxiety symptoms are when I get nervous. One of my tics, I guess you could call it, is I'll start biting my nails or picking my nails, um, and and I've done that for as long as I can remember, my whole life, even when I was a kid, when I get anxious, I get so mentally overwhelmed that I pick or bite my nails. And I think that, I think, you know, after digging into it, I think I do that to try to cause physical pain, to take my mind off the mental pain or preserve mental pain of my anxiety. So that's kind of messed up. So I've gotten better at that. I've, I've done better um, with my fingernail biting. I will keep a fidget cube nearby at all times in the car at my desk at at home at at my desk at work and if i start feeling those anxiety feelings coming on i will get the fidget cube and start playing around with it as opposed to biting my nails or picking at my nails and i've done that like i said as long as i can remember i've always had poor nail habits I, i was embarrassed by the sight of my nails i was ashamed that i would do that to myself when i did identify this about myself I sought help. It's what led me to counseling. It's what led me to medications. I've gotten better at it over the years. I don't really bite my nails anymore, but I still have urges to pick them, both my finger and toenails. Yes, I know it's gross. I get it. So picking, biting my nails, is it's like my pacifier. It's like my comfort when I get mentally strained. Anxiety still controls my life at times. There will be times in which I get overwhelmed with the current circumstances and I can't think of anything else other than that current stress. In my brain, I will constantly cycle that problem solution over and over until the problem no longer exists. That's problematic. Um, even, Even if I know what the solution is, it's still problematic because that solution could be days away or the solution could be just a guess and I'm not certain of the solution, so I just let it linger. I let the problem, the anxiety, go through a whole host of different outcomes, mainly focusing on the negative outcomes because that's what our anxiety anxiety does. It focuses on the negative outcomes of the situation. It kind of it consumes me. This causes issues with my work, you know, starting things, getting things done. If my anxiety is real bad, it causes issues with my marriage, with, with relationships, because it's hard to have conversations. It's hard to connect. There's constant frustration. And it's, it it messes with my free time. It's hard to relax. So what causes anxiety disorder? The Cleveland Clinic does an excellent job, I think, of explaining the causes of anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders are like other forms of mental illness. They don't come from personal weakness, character flaws, or problems with upbringing. But researchers don't know exactly what those causes of anxiety disorders are. They suspect it's a combination of several different factors at play. And some of those factors are chemical imbalance, Uh, environmental factors, heredity, trauma, stress due to an illness, stress buildup, personality, 
and then there's other mental health disorders that could be bringing it on such as depression so maybe i have anxiety because i'm depressed or maybe i'm depressed because i have anxiety i don't know and then there's also drugs or alcohol uh, misuse of those things um, can certainly lead or worsen your anxiety i know for me i hit on several of those um I do think I have a chemical imbalance. I have to take medication for it. I have to take Prozac. There's definitely environmental factors such as, such as certain triggers in my life, experiences I've had in my life, trauma experiences that I've had in my life um, that could have be a factor, heredity. I'm pretty sure my dad and mom had some mental health problems, anxiety, depression. So I probably got that from them. So yeah, a lot of factors there that, that tie into me and, and what have potentially given me my anxiety. So how is anxiety disorder diagnosed? There's really no easy way to diagnose anxiety disorder. There's no lab tests or brain scans that can be done. There's not a test you can take that'll scientifically determine yes or no, you have anxiety. When you go to your primary care provider and mention that you think you have anxiety or anxiety disorder, he or she will perform a physical examination to rule out anything else that could be causing your symptoms. There are certain diagnostic tests that your provider can perform, such as a Zung test or a Hamilton test, and there's also a Beck test or a BAI, and a few other screenings that will determine, based on scale, your anxiety levels. These are mostly self-assessments that ask a series of questions, and based on your answers, a medical professional will determine the help that's needed. Really, your provider just has to take your word for it, honestly. So just be truthful, be honest, be open about your symptoms and how you're feeling. For me, when I went to my primary care provider and I told her that I have, A, I have diagnosed myself with anxiety based on these factors. I went in there very, very confident in my internet research and and based on what I had read. And this was when I was about 35 years old, by the way. I had these symptoms for many, many years all the way back to my early childhood and they had only gotten worse as I aged at 35 I was finally brave enough to finally talk to my doctor about what was really going on so I told her my symptoms how I've lived with these symptoms for many years I showed her my fingernails as physical proof I said hey look at this look here's physical proof that I have anxiety look at my fingernails these look awful and at that time in my life due to the anxiety and and probably depression my nails were just in really bad shape from biting picking at them so after our talk, she, she prescribed uh, me Lexapro. I took that for about six to nine months, and I asked for something different uh, because of the side effects. Lexapro wasn't really for me. She then prescribed me Prozac, and I found that to be best for me, and that's what I take now. There are treatments for generalized anxiety disorder. Uh, really, it's medications and psychotherapy. Those are typically the two main treatments for GAD, or generalized anxiety disorder. The medications can fall into a few different categories, but the most popular are benzos, such as Valium or Xanax. There's also SSRIs, which is like Prozac, and SSNIs, uh, Cymbalta. The benzos will have a quicker, more calming effect, similar to a tranquilizer, and are typically given in small doses for a short amount of time. Taking benzos can lead to dependence after long-term care, so uh, be careful. Be careful with benzos. I recommend SSRI, Prozac. That's just coming from me. Don't take my advice. Go seek professional help. Go ask your primary care provider before you start taking any medication. I know the SSRIs and SSNIs will take several weeks to begin working, and don't they don't really affect one's day-to-day activities like benzos could, uh, be having more of a tranquilizer effect, SSRIs and SSNIs are pretty pretty mild. 
Once again, I'm not a professional. Consult your primary care provider before taking or thinking about taking any medications. The good news about SSRIs and SSNIs are they are non-addictive. Another form of, of therapy is cognitive behavior therapy. And, I, and I, I, I'm smiling as I say that because on my last episode, I was saying cognitive behavior therapy. And my friend Josh said, no, you're saying it wrong. You're an idiot. It's cognitive. And so I'm, I'm going to learn to say it right this time. It's cognitive behavior therapy or CBT, is the most common type of psychotherapy for anxiety. CBT is a type of talk therapy that focuses on problem-solving and meeting specific goals. There are five problem-solving steps for CBT, which are recognize the problem, create a list of potential solutions, evaluate each of these solutions to determine the strengths and weaknesses they'll offer you in your life, choose which solution to apply to the problem, and then finally implement the decided-upon solution. Cognitive distortions are are negative or irrational patterns of thinking, and there are several of these different types of cognitive distortions, and that's your all-or-nothing, black-and-white thinking, viewing things in absolute terms, overgeneralization, using the words always or never. There's discounting the positive, which is ignoring and invalidating good things that happen or jumping to conclusions, mind-reading, thinking someone is going to react in a certain way, or fortune-telling, predicting Predicting events will unfold in a particular way. I know I do that a lot. There's emotional reasoning, which is judging oneself or circumstances based on emotions instead of reality. I do that one a lot. Should statements, the shoulda, woulda, coulda statements, the must. When saying those words or examples of thinking that that can make one worried or anxious, these are self-defeating terms to speak in that emphasize unattainable standards that when we don't reach, we get anxious or panicked. And then there's also personalization and blame. To entirely blame yourself or someone else for a situation that, in reality, involved many factors that were out of one's control. Here are some stats, some some stigmas and misconceptions of anxiety. According to Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorder affects 18.1% or 40 million adults of the population each year. Despite this large number, only 36.9% or a little over 14.5 million of those suffering receive treatment. So those are those are rookie numbers. We got to get those numbers up. To break it down even further, there are different types of anxiety disorders, and we'll go over those and some of those statistics. There's there's what we've been talking about, which is GAD, generalized anxiety disorder. This affects approximately 6.8 million adults, but only 43.2% receive treatment. Women being twice as likely than men to be affected by GAD. There's panic disorder, which affects 6 million of the adult population. There's social anxiety disorder. There are approximately 15 million adults that suffer from SAD. It's said that 36% of adults experience SAD 10 years or more before getting help. There's phobias. Phobias affect up to 19 million adults, and some of these conditions can begin in early childhood, particularly around the age of 7 years old. There's obsessive-compulsive disorder, which affects approximately 2.2 million adults and is seen equally in men and women, with the average onset being around 19 years old. Finally, there's post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. This affects 7.7 million adults. Childhood sexual abuse is a strong predictor of lifetime likelihood of developing PTSD. There are common misconceptions and stigmas about anxiety disorder. 
Um, some of those, th these facts and myths, such as anxiety isn't a real disorder or medication is the only treatment for an anxiety disorder or, hey, less stress will cure anxiety or you don't need professional help with anxiety. You can just get over that on your own. All of these, of course, they're, they're false. However, if one doesn't suffer from a mental illness or has little knowledge of the disease, then it's easy to come to such simple conclusions. Social stigmas are a large reason in which we don't seek help when we need it. One with generalized anxiety disorder or depression or some other mental illness may be viewed as crazy or insane. And because of that stigma, because of that misconception, they're less likely to, to reach out and get help. Don't worry about that. Go get help if you need help. There is a real legit fear of others that if they reveal to friends or family or coworkers that if they suffer from anxiety and they'll be excluded or rejected from from whatever. The truth is your friends or family will not reject you. They'll be really happy that you confided in them something so personal to you. So if you need help, go get help. So now let's talk about my anxiety. When I talk about my anxiety, keep in mind that I'm talking about my generalized anxiety disorder, not just regular anxiety. Uh, every, like I've said before earlier, everyone has anxiety. It's, it's a part of this human nature. So when I'm speaking of my anxiety in this, this next little section here, keep in mind I'm talking about generalized anxiety disorder. There are other types of anxiety disorders that I touched on earlier, like panic disorder, social anxiety disorder, or PTSD. I can't personally relate to any of those, but if any of you listeners out there whoever you are can relate to those and want to share your story, please reach out to me at contact at parttimestruggle.com. I'd love to hear how your anxiety, anxiety affects you and what you do to manage it, and I'm sure other, others would as well. I said this in my last episode about depression that I like to compare my depression to a, a bully that's always insulting me. It's keeping me down, beating me up, whereas my anxiety is like a nervous friend that wants the best for me, but it's constantly feeding me all the negative stuff about a situation instead of focusing on the positive. My anxiety will tell me, hey, Matthew, you know, I'll, I'll support you in this thing you want to do, but um, here's everything that could possibly go wrong. Uh, good luck, but seriously, you might die. Be careful. My anxiety likes to default to all the negatives of a situation as opposed to things that might go right or the fun experiences I might have with trying this new thing. Seriously, my anxiety makes the simplest things awkward and problematic, something as simple as ordering coffee. When I go to Starbucks to get coffee and ask for a lar large coffee, my anxiety tells me that, you know, if you walk into Starbucks, this typical setting, there's some, some a little bit of light indie rock playing or some light jazz music. Uh, you can hear a little chatter around. People are sitting at their tables with their with their MacBooks. Um, but when I walk into a Starbucks and I say, hey, I like a large coffee, again, my, my anxiety tells me that the record will skip like in a movie and everyone will stop and stare at me. Uh, it, it'll get dead quiet in there. A baby might start crying off in the background. And the barista will look at me and say, we don't have larges here. We have venties, you stupid son of a bitch. And then he'll throw hot coffee in my face. And everybody in there will start cheering and clapping because this idiot ordered a large coffee. So that's what my anxiety tells me. In reality, the barista knows exactly what I'm asking for and they don't care. They're just ready to get, get off and go home at the end of the day. My anxiety likes to be in control. My anxiety likes to have determined outcomes ready. 
in place before a situation happens. And this could be rooted to some unstructured or, or unassured upbringing I had where in many instances and situations were out of my control that led to negative outcomes. So over time, I developed this need to control the narrative. That could be just me thinking out loud. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. I don't know if those situations that I had as a kid caused my anxiety problems. The research that I have found recently tells me that could be the case, but I don't know for sure. So because of this, because of this upbringing I had, because of this this need to control, I get extra anxiety when I can't control an outcome that I care about. For instance, and we'll start with a silly one, and this is very silly. We'll, we'll actually cover, cover a few silly ones. Um, I have a very, quote-unquote, fun struggle when I watch my favorite sports teams. And I know this is a silly example, but the sports teams I like are notoriously bad. So I put myself, for no reason, through extra hell because of it. I could like any team in any league, in any sport that I want, but for some reason I have chosen the South Carolina Gamecocks, the Atlanta Falcons, and the Atlanta Braves. Now, one of those teams did not disappoint me last year, and that was the Braves. Go Braves. They won the World Series. But the other two, the Gamecocks and the Falcons, are notoriously bad. They always find a way to disappoint me. When I watch games, I'll pace around the room. I'll call players and coaches some some not-so-nice names sometimes when they don't perform up to my expectations. And sometimes if the pressure is too high, I will look away. Or I'll watch a game with the volume off to try to keep my anxiety in check. I'm working on this. I'm getting better at it. I've, I'm, I'm starting to rationalize this better, going the, the outcome of this game does not matter. Nothing, nothing about the outcome of this game will have an effect on your life, Matthew. Calm the hell down. And I wish all my struggles were as silly as this one. I feel this way because, again, I have no control of the outcome. If I had a, just a little bit of control of the outcome, I would be much more comfortable and have much less anxiety. If I worked for the Gamecocks or I worked for, for the Falcons – and I felt like I had just a small piece of control of the outcome. I would have much less anxiety. But because I have zero control of it, my anxiety sometimes goes through the roof. So similar to sports, and another silly item is media consumption. Media consumption can affect my anxiety, and it may be affecting yours as well. Media, and when I say media, I mean all of it. I mean talk radio, of course, you're you're screaming talking heads on TV that this the outrage machine there. I'm talking about social media, all of it. It's just a cesspool of negativity. And there seems to be no positive media consumption. If there is positive media consumption out there, I'd love to know about it. Media, and again, all of it wants you to be anxious. It wants you coming back for more doom and gloom. Media wants you to be scared, angry, and outraged. It's the outrage machine. Anger and outrage and fear produces clicks. Uh, in a future episode, maybe this year, maybe next year, at some point, I plan on doing an episode on how media causes mental health issues and how to prepare yourself, how to armor yourself with good critical thinking skills to make sure the media you're consuming is trying to educate you and not make you feel a certain way. And when I say media, I'm referring to all the major news outlets, social media, talk radio, talking heads, yelling at, they're yelling at the TV, so you yell at the TV. It's just a, a cycle of crap. Now, I'm not saying shut off all media. It's important to stay informed. It's important to know what's going on in the world, in your country, in your state, in your town. So don't just shut off media. No, but you do need to educate yourself on how media works and understand that media might not have your best interest in mind. They only have their best interest in mind, which, of course, is money, money, money. Media makes money off the clicks you give them on the Internet and from watching their TV shows, the ad revenue. They realized long ago that the fluff happy pieces, those articles, those shows, they don't bring viewers back. 
anger, outrage, fear. That's what keeps them coming back. Media should be for educating and informing, not making you feel something. And I don't want to hear that the media you consume doesn't want you to be outraged. Don't give me that. No, not my media. My media would never mislead me or lie to me or try to make me feel some type of way. They're telling me the truth. No. Uh, Guess what? The media you're consuming is trying to make you feel a certain way. So you come back, you give them clicks, you give them money. All that outrage and anger you get from their manufactured outrage and anger is causing you some mental health issues, whether you know it or not. And again, I might be projecting onto you how I feel because I get caught up in this sometimes. So maybe it's not affecting you. If you are that person, good for you. You've won the war on media. But if you are one like myself that finds themselves more anxious, more stressed, more uptight at their media consumption, you're not alone. Now on to uh, maybe more serious matters about anxiety, such as family and careers and health and relationships, finances. For me, when my anxiety creeps in, when certain triggers get set off, I get into a problem-solution cycle. And that is my anxiety presents me with a problem, a danger. And in my brain, I immediately start trying to find solutions. In my brain, I might find that solution, which is great. But what happens is that unless I write it down, that problem-solution cycle keeps going around and around and around in my head and it consumes my thoughts it's only been the past few years that i began writing down my triggers and solutions to get them off my brain once they are on paper and i can see it i know i have a solution to the problem to the danger and i can then move on i will use some of those cbt methods uh, to keep me in check such as mental filtering discounting the positives jumping to conclusions the shoulda woulda coulda statements and stop and stop taking everything so damn personally Once I write down my problems, my issues, and use those tools to retrace my steps, it helps me refocus, see the bigger picture, and not focus on the small stuff. This has helped me better manage my anxiety. The first thing I will ask myself is, can I control or partially control the outcome of this issue? If the answer is yes, I will write down the solution or what I perceive as the solution, and I'll move on to the next. If I cannot control the outcome, I'll write down my inner thoughts on the situation and move on. I don't let it linger. That's my advice to you. It's much easier said than done. It takes work. It takes daily work to get good at it. I'm not great at it, certainly. I'm still working on it every day, but I am getting better. My my second piece of advice, other than writing down, is keep a pen and paper nearby. Keep it close by at your office, at your house, so whenever your anxiety triggers do flare up, you have a pen and paper nearby to start writing down and working through those those issues. So sports and media are two examples of my anxiety being very high while I consume those things because I can't control the outcome. One area that gives me anxiety in which I can control the outcome is traveling, and it's as simple as traveling in a car. A day trip that might be an hour or two away or three hours or five hours or six hours, doesn't matter. My anxiety, because it likes to control the narrative, will think about getting to the destination. In my head, I will map out the entire trip. What time we need to leave, what time we need to arrive, all of it. Once we've reached the destination, I will then start to focus on the return home, mapping out everything in my head. If there's a slight variation or things don't go as I pre-planned them, my anxiety then goes through the roof because I feel as I have lost control of the situation and there may be some new unforeseen dangers out there that I didn't think of. This takes me away from the moment. It locks me up mentally. It's all I can think about. I now have to rethink the whole travel plan. It's so damn frustrating. I don't know if this affects you, and it doesn't have to be traveling. That's just my example. 
Uh, are there situations that you plan out, that your anxiety plans out to make sure you are exposed to as few dangers as possible, but then something derails that plan and you go into a bit of anxiety tailspin? If so, you aren't alone. But here's what I've done to help myself with that, uh, with traveling. And this has only been something I've adopted recently is nowadays I will talk the trip over with my wife. Typically, if I'm going somewhere, she's going to be with me. So um, I make sure that we have everything planned out accordingly. We'll talk it. We'll talk it through and we'll talk it through if something interrupts our plans, what we plan on doing to 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 fix the, the issue instead of placing blame. Just talking out the plan and what happens if the plan derails is it's very soothing because my brain is no longer doing the problem solution cycle. It's out and it's out there. Miranda knows the plan. I know the plan. We've talked about it. If you don't want to talk about it, you can write it out. But it, it kind of works the same way. Um, but if you're traveling with someone, talk to them because it kind of helps them know about your anxiety. It helps them know what you're thinking when you get anxious and how together you can solve the problem. There's no there's no mind reading. You're not. You're not expecting the person that's traveling with you to read your mind. My anxiety strives for perfection because it's scared of failure. So let's go back to that first question I asked you earlier at the beginning of the podcast. How much of your anxiety is caused by the pressure you put on yourself? How much of your anxiety is manufactured? Let's take finances, for example. If you wrote that money or finances is one of your anxiety triggers, is it that you just don't have enough money to survive? You don't have the, uh, the necessities, the food, water, shelter? Or is it that you are looking at your neighbor, so to speak, and are trying to keep up with them? They might have a bigger house, a nicer car, and you strive for that. If that's the case, then you've manufactured that pressure that you have put on yourself. This is the point I'm trying to make. Don't put that pressure on yourself. Focus on you. Focus on your family. Do what's best for you in your situation. Again, we all have different paths in life, different walks in life. Our timing is not all going to be the same. Focus on yourself. The few topics that I have discussed so far, sports, media, traveling, in the big picture of things aren't really that big of a deal. It's all manufactured in my head. I have certain expectations. I have certain ways I want things to go, and when they don't, my anxiety pops up. When things don't go as planned, I consider that failure or I consider that lack of perfection. And damn, that is so dumb. So I have been working on that. I've learned to accept failure. I've learned to not be perfect. I have learned that plans don't always go as planned, and that's okay. Just roll with it. I'm not saying, you know, just just stop giving a damn. No, I'm just saying stop striving for perfection or whatever your view of perfection is. It's okay to just okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail. And I know that the perfection that I strive for, the that that you can't fail, you can't lose, you have to be the best pressure that I put on myself, those unrealistic unrealistic expectations I put on myself, they're all me. They're all manufactured. No one is demanding that. No one is asking for that. Again, my wife's not asking for it. My boss isn't asking for it. The company I work for is not asking for it. My friends aren't asking for it. It is all manufactured by me. I have manufactured that throughout my life for whatever reason, and I'm still trying to figure that out. Most topics I touched on today are focused on the pressure, expectations, manufactured perceptions that I place on myself. Life is going to be full of anxiety-ridden adventures. There's jobs, families, careers, health, financial issues, you name it, anxiety can be found. As those situations pop up, learn to control what you can control. Learn to forgive yourself if you don't succeed or if you fail. Learn to manage those expectations. Talk things out when something is bothering you. Communication is key. It really is. Identify your struggles. Identify your weaknesses. Own up to your anxiety. Be honest with yourself. Be open. Be vulnerable. 
Being vulnerable is hard. The definition of vulnerable is being susceptible to physical or emotional attack or harm. Now, I'm not telling you to attack or harm yourself, but the best way to understand your struggles is to face them head on. Don't hide them. If you need help, go get help. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to those that care about you. I do want to close this episode by again stating that I am not a professional. I am not a a doctor. I am just a dude talking about his mental health issues. If you think you need help, go get it. Don't shy away from it. If you have to take medication, so what? I take Prozac. I'm not ashamed of that. If you have to go to counseling, so what? Go get counseling. I get counseling. And let me tell you, when I leave my counseling sessions, it's like a weight has been lifted off my shoulder. The sun's brighter. Food tastes better. Life is just more colorful. Go see for yourself. Don't take my word for it. And don't worry about what others might think. Take care of yourself. Find the anxiety triggers in your life and work on managing those things. There are many ways to do this. Find what brings you joy in life and seek that out. Don't say, I don't have time. Make time. A man will make time for what he finds important in his life. Thank you for sticking it out with me while I aired out my anxiety grievances. I hope you found something valuable from this episode. If you did, hey, share it with others. Again, my goal for part-time struggle isn't the money or clicks or upvotes or whatever. My goal is to reach just one person and make a positive difference in that person's life. If I can nudge just one person to help themselves, I have won the battle with mental health. Again, if you would like to contact me, it is contact at parttimestruggle.com or www.parttimestruggle.com. Take care. Thank you.